Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. Not many tech entrepreneurs can say they took on the giants of the industry during the internet boom of the noughties, beat them, and are still succeeding today in 2023. Yeah, when we started, our competitors were AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Google. So <laughs> it's the tech giants. And all of them, except Google, have shut down their blogging services. But Matt Mullenweg, the new CEO of Tumblr and the co-founder of WordPress, can... From its launch in 2003, Matt transformed WordPress from a blogging site to an all-in-one website creation platform, which is now the backbone of around a third of all websites around the world. And he's not standing still. Following the creation of parent company Automatic, he decided to add Tumblr to their list of brands in 2019. One fun thing about Tumblr is it's always pushed the limits and the edge of what people consider social media. All the other things that every other social network does Many of them were on Tumblr first. In July this year, he and the team behind the social media platform laid down the gauntlet, sharing plans to redesign the sites, make it easier to use, ensure it had high-quality content, and grow its creator base. The announcement came just weeks after big changes at both Twitter and Reddit that left their users up in arms and looking for a new home on the web. Coincidence? We've definitely had people come over, and we see, like waves or spikes. I'm John Weeks from the Evening Standard and this is How to Be a CEO. So, in a seemingly ever-changing online world, what can be learned from the past 12 months of activity that's shaken up the social media landscape? One thing I've learned is just how sticky networks are. So, regardless of how you feel about how a social network is being run or its privacy policies or the person running it or whatever it is, um, you want to be where your friends are. And so it's, you know, not unusual that that's the thing that social networks make it the hardest to move around is who you follow and your interests and your likes and everything like that. So I think if we're going to reach an age of true portability where people can, you know, try new social networks and move, we need more user control of their own data. So we need users to be able to take their likes their follows, their interests, and uh, bring it over wholesale to a new network for any new network to have a chance. Absolutely. And I'm guessing that's a bit of a tease into your plans for Tumblr going forwards. Uh, have you got a sort of a battle plan, as it were? Yeah. I mean, so 
Well, first I'll say that also I've learned that running a social network is really, really hard. So you're not going to hear me criticizing Zuck or Elon or, you know, anyone else because it's, gosh, it's, um, you know, software that sort of tries to capture human communication and interactions, you know, at the scale of even just millions, <laughs> you know, uh, or tens of millions, you know, is as hard as being the mayor of a city or the you know leader of a country and you know at certain scales like some of these things like you know facebook with what's three billion daily active users that's bigger than any country or or society that's ever existed in humanity before so there's going to be new problems there's going to be problems every day just by definition of having that many humans on the platform and it's a it's a learning process so i do think that so you asked about tumblr's roadmap like a lot of it's providing a really great and safe environment. Okay? The software needs to be fast, performant, needs to work well. It needs to do a good job at showing you things you want to see. <laughs> so both the people you follow, but maybe also exposing you to new things that you don't know about yet that you're going to love and like. It needs to be sustainable. So it needs to have a business model <laughs> when you think about it. Like, uh, you know, back in the day, like when you had a web host, like you'd pay for the amount of storage you use and the amount of bandwidth you use and everything like that. All these social networks give you unlimited storage, unlimited bandwidth, unlimited, effectively. You know, you can have as many views or, or users as you like. You don't get charged for that. And so there needs to be a business model that makes it sustainable to provide that service because it's quite expensive to do and quite expensive to moderate. And then finally, like we, you know, one fun thing about Tumblr is it's always pushed the limits and the edge of what people consider social media. So far before anyone else sported images or videos or inline audio, like Tumblr sported all that. It supported more than 140 characters. It supported all the other things that other every other social network uh, does. Many of them were on Tumblr first. And so we're always thinking, like, what can we do next? <laughs> I actually, you know, when other people copy us, I'm like, well, cool. You know, like like we had the, the when Twitter started introducing us, like, following before you tap. Like, we had the exact same thing. They literally copied like our exact design and everything. I was like, all right, you know, like, <laughs> on to the next thing we got, we got to make something. And interestingly better. on that as well, is as well as Twitter copying it from you guys, now Threads want to copy that sort of from Twitter. Clearly, uh, it's a, is it a bit of a cyclical sort of nature within social media? Well, I think what happens is that the reality is, is that people use multiple social networks at the same time. And there's sort of a baseline functionality that they just come to expect. Much like, you know, no matter what restaurant you visit, you expect them to have chairs and tables and, and some form of cutlery or napkins or <laughs> restrooms. And like, these are just kind of standard features we take for granted, right? Because it's, it's so standard. But if you visit a restaurant that didn't have these things, you definitely notice it. So it's kind of the same with like some of these social networking features that there's um, certain things that you just probably don't even realize that you expect until you were going to visit one of these social networks that doesn't support it. And then you're like, oh, I really like that thing. Very true. And it's interesting hearing you talk about the sort of the difficulty of running a social network and the challenges, considering your pedigree sort of in the World Wide Web. I didn't really know how to sort of phrase your, <laughs> your own sort of um, career, but you don't get called the blog prince for nothing. How do you sort of review your own career from sort of setting up WordPress to where you are now? Yeah, so fundamentally, um, I'm a guy who loves making software that enables other people to do things, you know, to express their creativity, to publish, to reach an audience. And that just really jazzes me up. I get a lot of fulfillment from it. And um, 
my roots are in the open source community and still where, you know, the bulk of my time goes is uh, a project called WordPress, which is um, an open source started as a blogging platform. It's made to become really a full site platform. So you can build anything, what we call a CMS or content management system, which means you can build an e-commerce store, you could build a link and bio site, you could build anything as simple or complex as you imagine. And it runs, you know, small blogs all the way up to some of the uh, most trafficked or most uh, targeted sites in the world, like whitehouse.gov um, or the New York Post or, you know, some of the biggest uh, publications. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my career. So I, I've been doing and about over a third of all websites in the world run WordPress now, which is more than 10 times the number two in the market. Uh, so it's it's been successful uh, from adoption, and because it's open source, it really belongs to the people. It's not just me, you know. It's like it's it's kind of like Wikipedia. Like everyone kind of has access and owns it and can edit it and things like that. Um, so I kind of assumed I knew what I was doing coming into Tumblr, and it was uh, <laughs> it was humbling. I bet, and I mean that that sort of period of of internet growth, really, from the time you sort of mentioning when you sort of set up WordPress, that kind of mid noughties period how do you describe that that growth really from that time to, through until into the sort of 2010s and to where we are now sort of as for the internet as the whole if that makes sense yeah uh, i've never heard it called that the noughties <laughs> but yeah you know, one nice thing about that period it was i would call it the previous peak of the open web i think we're entering another peak of the open web right now but in the previous peak, um, one thing that was really fun is everyone could have their own website, which they completely controlled. They controlled the design, everything like that. Um, but there was a lot of social norms and services that connected them all. So you'd have like a blog roll on your site. That was kind of like the people you followed and people could click on that and, and see people use things called RSS readers to like keep up with the updates from other sites, you know, tagging, which right now really just works within social networks. There were sites like Technorati that would show you the same tag across every network. So if you were going to like a wedding or a conference and you know, like WordCamp US is coming up. So the tag will be WCUS. WordCamps are WordPress community events. So you looked at WCUS tag, you could see all the blog posts about it, all the Flickr photos, all the like different, across the different social networks. And uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so what happened after that, particularly with the rise of mobile phones, is, you know, as the social networks became quite profitable from an advertising point of view, they didn't want you going to other websites anymore. They really needed to keep you within the same app, within the same domain, so that they could show you ads, <laughs> basically. And um, and all of a sudden, like, Facebook was the, the best example of this. Like, they let people pay to get more followers. And then all of a sudden, with the newsfeed, they were like, well, when you make a post, your followers don't see it anymore. Would you like to pay for your followers to see your post? <laughs> it's like the greatest kind of bait and switch I've ever seen in my life. And so, and, but people did it. And you know what they, I'll even say that they liked it as much as they complained. You know, people vote with their dollars and the many tens of billions of revenue that, that Facebook makes shows that they're providing a service to their advertisers. They're connecting them to people or business that they wouldn't otherwise reach and they're finding it remunerative. And did did you feel like you were very much in that space of of internet growth at the time with WordPress? Did you feel a sort of sense of something's happening here? Because it, if if you look back, it did. <laughs> the good news is that never has stopped. <laughs> so like the press cycles move on, and like what gets the the cover of Forbes or the thirty under thirty or something changes every year. But with customers, with users, with consumers, like. 
those needs are, are fairly persistent. You know, like I, I love how Jeff Bezos says, like, don't look at what's going to change in technology. What are the things that aren't going to change? So for his business, he's like, people are never going to want their packages to take longer to get to them. <laughs> so how do we focus on getting them their stuff just as fast as possible? That's going to be a long-term competitive advantage. That's not going to change regardless of what the latest iPhone is or the latest social network. So you know, the fundamental trends that have grown for WordPress are still very true. People want their own home on the web. They want it to be something that reflects them and not, you know, the needs of an advertiser or a cookie cutter profile at someone else's uh, domain. They want to have a direct relationship to their customers. You know, they want to have, whether that's SMS or email or, you know, people buying things from them, they want to have that, that direct relationship because ultimately that's where the value is. And, um, and people also like to be in control of their destinies. So, you know, we, we often say we don't make software for free. We make it for freedom <laughs> with WordPress. Uh, you know, the open source license is like a bill of rights. So when you're part of the WordPress community, it's like being a citizen of a democratic country where you have certain inalienable rights that no one, myself or anyone else can take away from you. And so people like being part of that movement. And um, if I think of why has WordPress been successful, uh, because, you know, historically we didn't have, all, we weren't always the easiest to use or we didn't have the best interface. It's, it's better now, but like back in the day it wasn't. But we always had the community. So, you know, a lot of times if you ask people's WordPress story, it's someone knew it and they, they told a friend. And they said, here, I'll show you how to use it. <laughs> and click here and do this and like that sort of thing. And, uh, and then you became someone who might tell other people and teach other people. So it was almost like a new skill or craft that sort of spread throughout society in a really open way. And people felt very empowered by when they learned WordPress. So do you think it was that community element that helped you go up against the likes of Google uh, back in the day with Google's blogger service? I mean, what was it like going up against a, a giant like that? And, and, and how did you find it? Yeah, when we started, our competitors were AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Google. So <laughs> it's the tech giants. And all of them, except Google, have shut down their blogging services. Microsoft actually switched everyone to us. And, you know, we'll get Google someday. It's just kind of sitting in a corner someplace. They're not really paying attention to it. So I think that's just about one business models. So all of them had, like, they were really making their money other places. So they never put their best people, their best focus on this. If, I mean, truly, if, like, you know, a trillion-dollar company like Microsoft was like, we're going to make the best <laughs> blogging CMS in the world and we're going to put, like, everything we have into it, yeah, they could crush us, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also like why you know because like wordpress is open source and is this in the world so actually microsoft is a huge user of wordpress so that's a cool thing as well when something's open source like you don't need to make a competitor you can just build on top of it and make your thing custom um, build your own version of it you know your own distribution or put it on your own cloud that's that's very possible and that's kind of the beauty of open source is it says hey let's let's build this thing once as humanity <laughs> and then forevermore we could use that as a building block that we build on top of but we don't need to make that block again like we did it like we it's kind of like hey we figured out germ theory or we figured out how glasses work or we figured out like rockets or, or internal combustion engines let's not do that over and over again like let's just kind of like say okay here's how you do it and now let's improve on it and build on top of it so that's that's kind of what moves civilization forward and part of what makes it really exciting for me and the other people who work on open source is that um, it's uh, you're contributing to something that 
might be built on hundreds of years from now, which is really cool. And that's also, you know, as you asked about roadmap for Tumblr, like part of the roadmap for Tumblr is open sourcing it and bringing it onto WordPress as a backend, making it more open because there hasn't really been a social network at scale that's, um, at, you know, Tumblr scale or bigger that has been really fully open source. Let's take a break now. In part two, Matt talks making Tumblr's algorithm open source, taking on X Twitter and Reddit users, and artificial intelligence. Yes, bad things are, are going to happen with any new technology. And then society develops the antibodies to respond to that. And they'll use some of the same technologies to respond to it. My next question was going to be about the the sort of plan behind purchasing Tumblr back in 2019. Has that always been in your mind to make an open source social media platform from that point? Or has it been a bit of a process to sort of go, okay, this is what we've got here. Let's work out what we're doing. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny because Tumblr used to be one of our best competitors. And they got purchased by Yahoo, which merged with AOL, which then got bought by Verizon. And just like those companies didn't necessarily give it whatever it needed to be, you know, what it deserved to be. And so when we bought it, it was kind of in a death spiral. And um, it was it was an interesting switch because I had spent so much of my career switching people off Tumblr. And all of a sudden I was like, all right, now we're going to run this thing. How do we make it amazing? And, um, and that's really been my focus. I've been CEO since February of last year. And um, like, how do we make this so amazing and really give the Tumblr community what they deserve and also give the world an alternative to these closed proprietary advertising driven social networks. Putting that on open source is, that's just our philosophy. <laughs> if we do nothing else, we're always going to do lots of open source because it's not just, I think, more effective from like a user point of view, but I also just think it's the morally right thing to do. So, you know, I only have so many productive years on this earth, you know, while my body works, my brain works, and I really want to put every ounce of effort I have, every contribution I can give to the world towards something that moves civilization forward. And to me, that's that's open source and that philosophy. So tangibly, how does open source Tumblr look? Because in my head, I'm imagining sort of 2007 Bebo, where you could set your own skin and you could change various elements of your page, at least. Is that kind of the idea or is it slightly different? Well, you could do that today. So on Tumblr, you can have custom themes and you can customize it every little bit and you can run on your own domain and everything. What we want to do is maybe give you the best of both worlds. So give you the full customization that you currently have on Tumblr and that you also have on WordPress, um, but still provide a streamlined interface, particularly on mobile, because people are reading a lot of things on the phone. That's like fast and performance. And so you can kind of move in and out of that full customization. So you have multiple constituencies there. Like you want the, the blogger or publisher to have the total control, but also the reader wants to have some consistency in the experience. So what does it look like to be open source? Well, we've already started to do it. So for example, the algorithm that powers Tumblr, it's called, uh, I think, Stream Builder. That's on GitHub now, so you can see exactly how it works. And you could submit a patch to it or yeah, change it or, you know, so that's kind of the first step towards, of course, eventually we want you to be able to like 
maybe even have your own customized version of the algorithm. So it's like, you know, you have like the ones we could bring to you, but then if you wanted to build your own, you could do that. Not unlike, uh, maybe like Chipotle or something. Like you can get their version of, of your burrito or your bowl, taco bowl, or you can kind of make your own. I think that's cool. People want that control. And um, yeah, that's ultimately what we're about is like giving like power in the hands of users. That's really cool because I feel like there's a lot of conversation these days about users being beholden to the algorithm. It's normally sort of referred to, isn't it? You know, the algorithms that sort of dictate what you see. But you're saying essentially, as a user, you could choose effectively what you see if you can alter the algorithm. Is that right? Why not? Like, why doesn't every social network do this? They should. The reason they don't is because they... Well, actually, it's kind of funny. The main reason they don't actually isn't for an evil reason. It's because what people say they want and what they really want is not consistent. <laughs> so they say they want to eat vegetables and listen to NPR and, you know, do yoga every morning. And what they really do is they look at the phone in the morning and eat junk food. And so, so it's kind of like express preferences versus um, stated preferences. I forget the term, but so that's. If I had to look at the non-evil reason why they don't give you total control over your algorithm, that's probably why. But um, I think there's there's things in there. So you can have, like like I said, we'll always have our defaults that maybe are the default thing you see, but then you can switch into your own mode if you want. The other fun thing about that is like on any SaaS service, and SaaS means software as a service. So that's where like you don't control the code. You just kind of go and someone else runs it for you. Usually hit a ceiling. So there might be somewhere where you grow or you want some functionality that that service doesn't support. Even with really successful ones like Shopify, which is quite good. There's certain things. If you want to do certain things on your store, Shopify just doesn't support that because they can't with the way the software is architected. But with open source and with the architecture of WordPress, I want to have a path where you could start with, you know, call it just a Tumblr, you know, kind of a fairly standard thing that there's half a billion of now. <laughs> But if you want to like turn that into an e-commerce store or you want to customize it in a different way or build a newsletter or a mailing list or, you know, create a membership site where you had, you know, these are all things that are supported by WordPress today and WooCommerce. So how do we create a really easy path there? So one other reason I'm really excited about Tumblr is, you know, Tumblr's user base, its customers are primarily young. It's like over half under the age of 25. It actually has more women than men, which is a common in technology. It's a very safe place and vibrant community for LGBT+. I think it's over a quarter, which is the largest of any other social network. So it's, you know, we created kind of a place for art and artists. So it attracts, you know, the youth, the, you know, that's kind of like constituencies that have traditionally been around um, the more artistic side of the world. And if you think of like that neighborhood in a city, right, it's maybe where the cool art is or the cool restaurant, that sort of thing. Um, the up and coming stuff. So Tumblr is kind of that online. It's kind of like that cool neighborhood. And um, how do we make that a path to, you know, basically the WordPress open source community, which is really amazing. I wouldn't call it the coolest. <laughs> I think we're very, but we're not like, we're not like hip in the same way that Tumblr is, you know, <laughs> it's not like a, like teenagers are, are wearing Tumblr t-shirts and like, you know, they're in high school and say like, oh, that's cool, which, which happens with Tumblr. So, but providing a path. So like you can um, get the cool thing, but at the same time, you're learning this craft, this skill, WordPress, which is going to be useful the rest of your life, including like 
you got a job as a journalist or something like that. Like these are really useful skills to have. I think that's kind of cool. And so I'm excited about that on-ramp as well to bring a younger demographic and younger people into WordPress essentially. So speaking of, of building paths, are you expecting to rake in some of the users who have become disgruntled, it's fair to say, with the likes of Twitter and Reddit based on the changes they've made this year? Uh, definitely. And we've definitely had people come over and we see like waves or spikes. But if I'm really honest, like less than you would think in the long term. So where it's been most successful is when entire communities move over. So like there was this really cool Lego community um, that actually didn't come from Twitter or Reddit. It came from Instagram and they got really frustrated with something Instagram was moderating or doing. I don't know what it was, but they're all like, all right, we're all going to switch over to Tumblr at the same time. <laughs> so if you're part of a community and you're frustrated with one of these other networks, you really have to move over in a community way. So like get everyone coming over at the same time, like teach each other how it works, like follow each other, like kind of like bootstrap the community on the new thing. And then also give us feedback. <laughs> when you move over, what do you miss from the old thing? And we can build it. You know, we're, we're iterating and improving on Tumblr every day. You know, there's over 200 people working on it. So we're shipping a lot of stuff uh, constantly. And do you back yourself, Matt, and your own pedigree to make Tumblr the success that you've kind of described really in, in this interview as a, a, a leading almost, but certainly a, a very popular social media site? Of course, I would love for it to be as big as a Twitter or Instagram. And that's, that's definitely a long-term goal. I think that might take a long time, but you know, we're in it for the long term. What is very important to me right now is that Tumblr, I feel a responsibility to its users. So the people who, who choose to use Tumblr, like it's a responsibility there to make it the best it could possibly be. And the other thing is I love that Tumblr defines culture. So to me and other people who work on it, that's really exciting. So you don't have to be the biggest, but if you're the thing that's setting the trend, which is going to be everywhere else a year or two or three years from now, there's a few places that do that. You know, there's, it was hip hop over the past 30 years, kind of set the culture. It's Burning Man. You know, it's like, it's San Francisco. It's like some of these places that like, they have that frisson, that kind of combination of like community and interaction and artistic conflict and creativity and exploration and experimentation that like, you know, creates the thing that's going to be next. I mean, that's exciting. And speaking of exciting things, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about uh, the biggest buzzword of the last two or three years now, which is AI. Does that play a role? Will it play a role in Tumblr going forwards? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I am one of the people who would say that it's almost impossible to overstate how big AI will impact society. Now, how that's going to show up for Tumblr, I don't know, think will be like as direct or obvious as maybe it will some other places like ChatGPT or something or your Siri or your assistant. Um, but for Tumblr, like for example, I think it can make our developers a lot more productive. Their coding can be, their code can be checked by AI or tested by AI or something like that. So that'll allow us to do a lot more with the same or fewer developers, which is really exciting. So maybe our pace of development can increase. I think AI can be a huge help and assisting on moderation. So if it could you know, help flag things before people even report them that someone can look at and review, or um, I think essentially what a stream is or your feed or the algorithm there is, is a form of AI. It's really machine learning 
people use these terms interchangeably. But so if we can make the feed a lot better and you can you know, tweak it and it can really learn the things you want to see and the friends you want to follow. So I think that's how it's going to show up. But it's not like there's going to be necessarily like a, uh, you're not going to chat with Tumblr to do your homework. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's not what Tumblr is going to be. I think it also could be provide some really cool tools. So when you think of like um, the generative AI stuff, like whether it's Dolly or Midjourney or like, you know, so much of what people do on Tumblr is expressing art and creativity. And you know, there's, there's some people who are resistant to this, but I'm actually hearing far more artists who are like, wow, this is another tool in my toolbox. It's not just like using it instead of doing your work. It's like helping with that first draft or helping you come up with new ideas or maybe like accelerating like a part of a workflow. Um, so I, I see it like a new, you know, a new type of paintbrush <laughs> in their palette or new colors they can use or something. So they see it as like a new way to express their creativity. And to me, that's also the future, you know, like, Yes, AI could generate a bajillion things and flood the market. And like, but people are going to care about that. Like, it's going to be maybe the AI generates a thousand ideas and then a really amazing artist or human, you know, picks the 10 that are really good and iterates on those and then picks the one that turns into the next hit song or the, like, the next amazing book or fan fiction or something like that. And so that's, that's really where I think that the amazing quality is going to come out. Just like any other tool, just like, when we move from typewriters to word processors like that, <laughs> some people were like, oh, this is going to ruin writing and fiction or, but like, it also like enabled a ton of productivity and like, we, we've probably written some better stuff since then. Does it worry you at all though, AI, in terms of certainly the generative AI you mentioned? I've heard, you know, stories about people worrying about fake images, fake videos circulating online, you know, the prospect of someone asking ChatGPT, to create an article on vaccines based in the style of the Lancet, you know, the potential for that is is quite huge. And being sort of responsible for a social network that has to deal with those things. Is that something you're concerned about? Or do you think sort of, as you just mentioned, that people won't make those things happen? Yes. So bad actors using AI to do more bad things. So like I said, my developers will be more productive. Maybe the spammers will be more productive too. Actually, they, they definitely will be. So that's definitely something that's going to happen. That's true with any new technology. Um, if you robbed a bank before, you used to have to get away on a horse. Now you can get away on a car. <laughs> so like, think of it like that. We don't say, oh, banks are going to be robbed so much more because now people can drive away faster or get away faster. You also, the good guys have cars too. <laughs> so the police have cars. I'm like... They get faster cars. So there's, it becomes something that becomes part of society. And Paul Graham puts this really well. Where Kant describes it as like societal antibodies. So yes, bad things are, are going to happen with any new technology. And then society develops the antibodies to uh, respond to that. And they'll use some of the same technologies to respond to it. So there's a flip side to everything I said, like fighting spam, developer productivity. There's a... a a shadow version of that or, or someone using that for a bad purpose. But yeah, there's more good people than bad people. <laughs> I think fundamentally in society as well, uh, more folks who want peace and prosperity and everything like that. So giving, putting the tools in their hands, I think is ultimately what makes the world better over the long term. Looking at things from a sort of cultural perspective these days, there's a lot of discussion about people trying to limit their screen time, spend less time 
on social media where they can. And we know about the tricks and techniques social media companies use to sort of keep our attention. Can you see a world where people choose to completely stop using social apps and websites to sort of protect their mental health? And is there a way that social media can provide a solution to people that isn't just a quick fix and actually makes them feel connected? It's a good question. I do think it's good to cycle on and off anything. (laughs) So like if you find yourself, you know, on your phone for even like an hour a day, which is probably low for most people, like, yeah, it's good to take a weekend off or I love the idea of like a Sabbath, like a day without technology or something like that. That's just, I think that's a good practice. Now, what makes me, what I'm far more interested, and actually something I'm really proud of is like, you know, you often hear people say they want to do less social media, but you almost never hear people say they want to blog less, you know? And what is that? What is it about blogging that they feel like adds their life or is a valuable task or valuable use of time that maybe they're not getting from more traditional social media? And how could, maybe through giving algorithmic control or other things, or just like, also some defaults or the ways you design the software, I think can also influence how people use it. Like I said, we're making Tumblr for art and artists. I haven't heard anyone say, I've loved less art in my life, or I need less music in my life, right? <laughs> um, you don't hear that, right? Because these are things that enrich our soul, can enrich our minds and creativity and expand human consciousness and, and relationships. So, and, and social media at its best, does connect people. And I think that's part of why it's been so so popular. Like for every story about, and I've experienced this myself, like you doom scroll and you're really depressed at the end. There's so many other stories of like, I've reconnected with someone who I haven't seen in a long time. Or I found out a friend was in town and we were able to meet up, those sorts of things. So I think it's just good to, for anyone's life to look at the first principles of like what provides you energy, happiness, health, you know, a calm mind, and use social media as a tool to get more of that. And if you find that you're, uh, you get out of these systems, what you put into them. So <laughs> you know, if you find you're being served like a ton of political stuff that makes you really angry, like um, maybe unfollow those sites or like tweak the algorithm or like, you know, unlike those things or like do whatever, don't engage with them, ignore them, don't scroll on it, don't click on it. Or maybe just like start a new account that from scratch where you only follow like artists or cats or whatever it is that like, these are all tools and um, they're, they're mirrors of our own uh, psyche. And so if you find it going uh, really awry, particularly if it's one like Tumblr, which is as advertising driven, maybe like uh, try starting a new account and like follow some different stuff and see if you can really tweak it to be um, something that you find really valuable part of your day. That was Automatic and Tumblr CEO Matt Mullenweg. For more interviews, news and analysis, head to standards.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the evening standard newspaper. How to be a CEO is back on Monday. We'll see you then.